Thank you, Brother Chris. Appreciate your faithfulness in the ministry over the years. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Genesis chapter 11, and that's where we'll be here in, in just a moment. And I uh, just also wanted to say thank you to everyone that has uh, expressed sympathy and prayers uh, to Allison. Her, her mom passed away three days ago, and so I just appreciate you guys uh, showing love on, on her, and I uh, appreciate that. Um, on Sunday mornings, uh, Pastor Keith has started a series on God's eternal plan. And uh, we're going over the, the seven-week seven series on the seven seas of history that are uh, mentioned in the Creation Museum, which includes creation, corruption, catastrophe, confusion, Christ, the cross, and consummation. And uh, last week, I spoke on catastrophe, and today we're going to talk about confusion. And so with last week's message being such a catastrophe, I am confused why you guys came back. So so glad you guys, uh, guys made it back here. So uh, Genesis 1 through 11 really contains a lot of the foundational truth of, of the Christian worldview. Uh, key doctrines of creation, uh, purpose, gender, uh, marriage, race, sex, uh, uh, sin, death, geological formations, nationalities, languages, all of these, these key issues are all embedded in Genesis 1 through 11. Uh, we've been able to scratch the surface of a few of these things, uh, but we haven't had the chance to go over all of them. But there's two main things we're going to look at today uh, is with, with race and with uh, languages and nationalities, those types of things uh, uh, today. Um, by the way, if, if you dismiss uh, Genesis 1 through 11, and you just say that these are allegorical type stories, you really challenge the whole validity of the whole Bible. And so it is very crucial that we look at Genesis 1 through 11, and some of these challenging type things, we need, there's reasonable, rational type things that come about these things and why they are factual and historical and can be trusted as, as valid. And so we're going to look at a couple of these uh, today. And so today, today we're looking at the confusion at the Tower of Babel. We're going to be looking at Genesis 11, uh, verses uh, 1, 1 through 9. So let's begin reading in verse number 1. It says, The whole earth was of one language and of one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to, let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and slime they used for mortar. And they said, Go to, let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach unto heaven. And let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of men builded. And the Lord said, Behold, the people is one, and they have all one language, and this they began to do. And now nothing will be restrained from them which they have imagined to do. Go to, let us go down, and there confound their language, that they may not, not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from thence upon the face of all the earth, and they were left off to build the city. Therefore is the name of it called Babel, because the Lord did there confound the language of all the earth, and from thence did the Lord scatter them abroad upon the face of all the earth. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much uh, for this passage. Thank you for everybody that's here today. 
Lord, I pray that we would just dissect this, this passage, and Lord, I pray that we would uh, use the, the truths that are in here, help them to apply them to our lives. And Lord, no one is here by mistake. And Lord, I pray that you would meet uh, people right where they are, speak to them right where they are, work in their hearts, work in their lives. I pray that you would draw everyone closer to you, for it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. So in this passage, before we really kind of dig into the text itself, there are two major questions I feel like we need to discuss before we kind of get into it. Um, As you're reading through Genesis uh, 1 through 11, you see there's a lot of genealogies. Uh, There is a genealogy that that tracks from Adam all the way to Noah. And there's a genealogy that's, that's from Noah all the way to Abraham. And if you've ever kind of read those genealogies and kind of stopped and slowed down to kind of read what's taking place there, you may have noticed the longevity of life of people that lived in that time frame. Um, if you can remember Methuselah, who was the oldest person that had, uh, has ever recorded, he lived to be 969 years. And as you look at the average age from those that were from Abraham to Noah, the average age of the life expectancy of those people was 857 years. The average life expectancy from the flood to Babel was about 450 years. And the average life expectancy from Babel all the way until uh, Abraham was 235 years. And then you get to the end of the book of Genesis, you get to Joseph, and he dies at the age 120. Then in Psalm uh, chapter uh, 90, verse 10, it says that the current life expectancy is anywhere between from 70 to 80 years. That's kind of the life expectancy that you see. So the, the question we need to ask with those genealogies is, did that really happen? Because today, you don't see anybody living 700, 800, 900 years old. So either, as you look at those genealogies, either one of two things are true. Either this is not accurate, because no one lives that long, or there is a logical reason why people in the book of Genesis lived longer and life expectancy is shorter today. And so what I want to take a little bit of time is on this topic, try to show some evidence as to why people did live longer in the book of Genesis, and they actually did live that long. So let's kind of look at that. When you look at Adam, when he was created, he was not created, uh, you know, flawed. He was created perfect. He was created into the, into the image of God. And so from, from a genetics standpoint, this is, this is why I believe people live longer in the, in the book of Genesis was due to genetics. Uh, Adam's DNA would have been perfect. He would not have any flaws in his genetic makeup. And so because of that, he did not have any flaws in, 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 in his genetics that would allow for him to live longer. He would not have uh, prone to have diseases or cancers and those types of things that m- many people here today would be more prone to. And so because of that, he lived longer. And so as you see uh, him live longer, um, here, here's the concept that you, that you can kind of think of, is as Adam was created perfect, he was the original, the original human being. As he had kids, he was a, their DNA would have been a copy from the original. Then that all, every, every generation thereon would be a copy of a copy of a copy. Now, I don't know if any of you guys have ever done this. Have you ever taken a uh, piece of paper and printed off a picture on it and taken it through the copier and copied it, then taken the copy, put it through the printer, make a copy of that, take that copy, put it through the printer, and if you copy that, that, those copies of copies of copies, what takes place is that 
by 10 to 20 copies down the road, you begin seeing that the lines that were once crisp become blurred. And you also begin seeing like small specks start popping up that weren't even there that begin showing up. And I actually got nerdy with it. I actually did it in the office this morning. It's like, how many copies can I do? And it was about 15 to 20 where you start seeing it get blurred a little bit. I was going to show you guys, but it would have been too small to see. Um, But when you make copies of copies, it, it does not become as clear as the original. Now, to, to kind of oversimplify genetics, the, the same thing would have been true with, ge, with the genetic makeup from Adam, Adam and Eve and every generation thereon, is that there would have been defects that would have come over time of the copies of copies and generations and generations down, down the road. Um, if you want to take some rabbit trails, um, there's a thing called alleles that are uh, variations to the, to, the, to the genetics that help cover up uh, different types of flaws, and it might be in someone's genetic codes. So um, for sake of time and, and simplicity, if you want to go down that rabbit trail, you can, you can look on that. Um, but that is something that kind of helps uh, give evidence to that. Uh, another issue that you, you would go into this is, is, is there's two main um, genetic bottlenecks that you see in, in, in these passages. The first bottleneck that you see is with, with, with Noah. Um, from, from Adam to, to Noah, we talked about last week that there was probably about over a billion people on the earth. After the flood took place, you now only have eight people. So all those variations of genetic makeup have, were all lost except through the family line of Noah. So if Noah was missing some genetic, genetic co- codes that, that would have been passed down, it would only, all that information would have been lost and only would have been passed down to his kids. Then you have, um, uh, as we'll see here, through, through Adam, uh, or through, through Noah and his kids, his three sons, you have all these people branch out. We get to the Tower of Babel, and there's a whole separation and split of people where people are isolated. And you see different gene pools that are isolated. So here's the point that I'm trying to make before I get too complicated with stuff, is that the reason why we see life expectancy getting, getting shorter is that the genetic makeup began to get less, less uh, pure from the original original makeup. And, and there's, there's more we could dig into that, but that's why I believe that you see those life expectancies longer in the, in the book of Genesis. Um, as we look, the other, the other question I feel that we need to look at as well is also with, with nationalities and, and, and with race. Um, many people will ask, okay, uh, if we all were, were created from Adam and Eve, why are there so many different, different races and nationalities? Why do we have Caucasians? Why do we have African-Americans? Why do we have people that, that look so vastly different from one another? If, if we all came from the same parents, if you will, why are there so many variations of these types of people? And I think that explanation comes from this account here in the Tower of Babel. Um, when, when God scattered the people across the face of the earth, uh, you have uh, the separation of, 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 um, of, of Noah's kids. And so um, you have them, you have Japheth that went north towards, towards uh, Europe, you have Shem that went east towards Asia, and you have Ham that went south towards Africa. And so what you see that's taking place is that now you have isolated gene pools. And so isolated gene pools, you now have certain superficial type of traits that come, come across. And I want to read, read this, this kind of uh, paragraph to you. Um, I, I, strong, I strongly encourage, actually, I just want to, I'm just curious, I show of hands. Who has actually been to the Ark or been to the Creation Museum? Raise your hand. Okay, awesome. So uh, I went to the Creation Museum this past week, and I, and 
uh, I literally rushed through the whole exhibit and I stopped at the part where it said confusion to Tower of Babel. And I was sitting there, I was taking pictures, I was reading things. And there's, these are some of the highlights from, from their exhibit that they had here. Um, it said that uh, existing genetic information resulted in people groups with specific distinctions but superficial differences. For an example, skin tone and eye shapes. These superficial differences only make up 0.01% of your genetic information. Superficial differences are just a result of different combinations of features that humans have had since creation. So different people groups could have occurred in a few generations in the small populations that split off from Babel. If Noah and his wife had middle brown skin, their children could have exhibited the whole range of skin tones from light to dark. Every human has the same basic brown pigment called melanin in the skin, and combinations of genes determine how much or how little melanin each person has. And so clearly talks about how just in a few generations from the Tower of Babel, how these different nationalities could come from. And that's what nationalities are, is developed uh, after God scattered the people across the, the, the world with these genetic pools. As they were isolated, these superficial differences became predominant in these different areas. So this brings up to the point, what about racism? Is there a place for racism? From a biblical perspective, the answer is an emphatic no. We are all created by God. We were all created uh, after God's image. We were all descendants of Adam and Eve. Acts 17, 26 talks about we're all one race. We're all the human race. And it says, he hath made of one blood all nations of men to dwell on the face of the earth. Therefore, there is only one race. It is the human race. And every single person is loved by God. We have all sinned against a holy God, and God uh, was willing to save us. We put our faith in Jesus Christ. So if you're here today and you have sinned and you uh, have never accepted Jesus Christ as your Savior, today would be a perfect day for you to trust Christ as your Savior. What about languages? You know, it says uh, today there's over 7,000 different languages in the world today. Uh, in Genesis chapter 10, uh, as you look at the genealogy from Noah, there's at least 78 different families from the three sons of Noah. And these families would have had all their own language and nationalities, as it says in, in uh, uh, Genesis. If you look in Genesis chapter 10, uh, it mentions the family of Japheth. In verse 5, it says, These were all the isles of the Gentiles divided in their lands, everyone after his tongue, after their families and their nations. Then in verse 6, it talks about the family of Ham. And then in verse, 20, uh, verse, uh, verse 15, it talks about Canaan. And verse 20 says, These are the sons of Ham after their families, after their tongues, after their countries and their nations. And if you look at verse 32, it says, These are the families of the sons of Noah after their generations and their nations. After these were all the nations divided in the earth after the flood. So we see that these, these nationalities and these languages were all split up. So these 7,000 languages that we have today probably were all rooted in about 90 or 140 different uh, root languages that then branched out in the different, different family languages that we have, have today. And this all fits into the, into the model that we have in the account of God's word. All right. Apologetics is done. Let's get to the passage. All right. So let's start looking at the text a little bit. 
Um, and the purpose of all that was to prove that you can trust the Bible, and you can dig deeper and all that stuff, okay? Um, as we look at Genesis chapter 11, we look at the Tower of Babel, um, we see that on the, on the surface here, we see that the whole earth was one. There was one language. There's all this, this unity of the people. And the point that we need to kind of understand here is unity increases strength. There's power in unity. And you see that actually in the Bible. Proverbs 30, 25 says, the ants are, are people not strong, yet they prepare their meat in the summer. So an ant is individually very weak, but collectively they can accomplish a lot. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9 through 12, talks about two are better than one, and a, three cord, a threefold cord is not quickly b broken. And so it uses the il illustration that uh, if you have a rope that just has one single strand, it's much weaker as compared to a rope that has three strands that are woven together. And a, a rope with three woven strands is exponentially stronger than just one single strand of rope. Uh, Matthew 12, 25, Jesus talks about a house divided against itself cannot stand. In World War II, one of the phrases were, was, united we stand, divided we fall. And so there's power that's in unity. And, and by the way, unity is good. Unity is good if it is used for a good, godly purpose. You look at the, the, the church in the book of Acts. Uh, Eleven times it, it describes the, the people in the church. It says that they were in one accord. The early church in Acts was very effective, very effective in packing their community for Christ through, through sharing the gospel and prayer and preaching and discipleship. And God used them greatly because they were unified in one cause for Christ. However, unity can be very bad when there's an ungodly, sinful purpose behind it. And that's exactly what we see here in Genesis chapter 11, is that the sin of Babel was not the fact that they were unified. The sin of Babel was because that they were unified in a sinful cause. The, the sin that the people had at Babel was the sin of, of humanism. Uh, if you look at verse two through verse four, let's read this again. And, and see if you can notice how many times a plural pronoun is used to describe themselves and to talk about themselves. Genesis 11, verse 2, it says, And it came to pass, as they journeyed from the east, that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. And they said one to another, Go to let us make brick and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone, and slime had they for mortar. And they said, let a, uh, Go to let us build us a city and a tower whose top may reach up to heaven, and let us make us a name, lest we be scattered abroad the face of the whole earth. Three verses, 13 times, these people were just talking about themselves. They, they, us, we. Their sin was not the fact that they were unified, but they were unified in being focused on themselves. There was two things that they were wanting to do that they say in verse four. They wanted to, to, to build a, a structure that would reach up to heaven. So they were concerned about what they could do. And then they wanted to put their name on it. They wanted their name to be exalted. So they wanted to exalt their works that they did with their hands. And they wanted to exalt their name that they accomplished it. You know what's interesting? 
people don't change much. You look at every city, and every city has a building that tries to be taller than all the rest. And what do they do? They slap someone's name on the side of that building. That's exactly what they were doing in the Tower of Babel. Let's build ourselves a great building and let's slap our name on there so everybody that comes by here, they see what great accomplishments that we have done and they can give us credit for what we did. That is humanism. You say, well, I've not built a skyscraper. My name's not on it. Yeah, well, <laughs> none of us can afford to put our name on any kind of skyscraper. But here's the thing. You see a lot of this on social media. You see a lot of this when people are trying to push their, their own name, push their own agenda to try and get their own attention, to give accolades for what they have done. People want recognition for what they have done. If they, if they had any part of something, they want to make sure they get a pat on the back and recognition for what they have done. That's humanism. By the same token, division is actually a good thing when ungodliness is present. You think about it. Uh, if you're a parent or have kids, what do you do when your kids are fighting? You separate them. It's very hard to fight when they're both next to each other. So you send them to the rooms, you take them outside, you, you, you take them somewhere where they're not together so they can't fight. For civil order, if there's a criminal that's breaking the law, you isolate them from society, you put them in jail. You separate them from society if they're a harm to society. In school, students get suspended. They get removed from the school if they are disruptive in the classroom. Uh, church discipline even has that, where they remove members if they're corrupting others from God's teachings and holy practices. And this is exactly what God is doing at the Tower of Babel when these people were unified in a sinful cause in elevating their works and their name instead of God. And so God decided, okay, you're unified in this sinful cause. I am going to separate you. And God scatters them across the, the world and God confounds their language. So here's, here's a principle we can pull from here. What should we worship? It's God. God is the one who his works ought to be lifted up, and God's name is the one who ought to be elevated in everything that we do. Isaiah 25 verse 1, it says, O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name. For thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and true. See here today, all worship in our life belongs to God. All praise that we ought to give to is not to myself, not to any other person, but all belongs to God. God is the one who's rightfully to be praised. Idolatry is actually very predominant in our culture today. And we need to be careful because we, just, we, we automatically just assume idolatry with, with like Hinduism where they have an idol that they actually build and they worship that specific idol. That's a, it's, a, it's an actual structure. But idolatry is, is really, it is, it is a way of thinking. It is, it is a heart association. And, and it's an adoration towards something or someone other than God. And so idolatry is everywhere. Uh, you see that with athletes. 
Uh, you see that with, with, with celebrities. You see it with singers. And, and I'm, I am all about, all about Christian music, but when you're, when you're following a Christian singing group and you praise the singers more than you do the God that they're singing about, that's a form of idolatry. And so there's idolatry everywhere. And so we need to be very careful in our own lives that we make sure that we don't get caught on the slippery slope. We begin praising people and their accomplishments over the God who has done magnificent things in our lives and make sure we give all praise and honor and worship towards him. Well, God saw these people. They saw that they were focused on worshiping themselves over than God, and God confounds their language. God confuses them. Uh, confound means to mix, mingle, or confuse. Just like as you would if you were to pour some, some sugar into a, a, a cup of coffee and you mix it all together, it gets mingled in and you lose uh, where it's at. And so God will confound those that elevate people above himself. God will put roadblocks in the way of those people that will worship the, cre the creature more than the creator. Uh, by the way, worshiping God is more than just showing up on Sunday morning for a one-hour time check. It is a lifestyle that you live. It is, it is every day throughout the week. It is all throughout that day where you are focusing on God and you are worshiping God in what you say, what you do, what you think, what you feel, uh, the, the actions, the things that you see, the things that you listen. It encompasses every part of you that it becomes a lifestyle of who you are of worshiping God and everything that you do. I've heard Pastor Keith talk about that, that a Christian is not just, hey, I get saved and all of a sudden I have this, like, this, this, this hashtag of, of this is who I am. No, no when, you, when you become saved and you are a Christian, it, it, is, it is who you are. It, it is what identifies you. It is what defines you as you are now a representative of Jesus Christ everywhere you go. And it becomes your mantra, your purpose in life that you live for Jesus Christ. And then everything that you do is that you're pointing people to Jesus Christ to lift up God's name and to draw people to him as God uses you. That is why God has saved us. God has saved us and left us here behind with a purpose. You know, part of our purpose is to show up to church and worship him, but it does not stop there. The whole purpose of church is for us to edify, for us to encourage one another in the Lord so that we can be effective for Christ as we leave these walls to make an impact for Christ in our communities, in our families, and wherever God has placed us. That really is where the work of God is done. And you can only make an impact for God is if God is the one that you're elevating in his name that you're elevating in the community around you. So are you here today, have you caught into this trap of, of what these people of Babel were, where they caught, were caught into this humanist type mentality where they were more focused on themselves than on God? It is very easy for us to slip into this. You can go to church all your life and you can at any moment get into this, this kind, of, uh, kind of mindset. 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse number 31. Paul says this, it says, He that glorieth, 
Let him glory in the Lord. You know, the thing that, the very thing that the people in Babel feared is what they lost. Genesis 11, 4, it says, it said, it says the people were talking, it says, lest we be scattered upon the whole face of the earth. Their fear was is that they would be all scattered. God's judgment at the end of verse 9 It says, from thence did the Lord scatter them upon the whole face of the earth. So the very thing that they feared was the very thing that they lost. Matthew 10, 31 says, he that findeth his life shall lose it. And he that loseth his life for my sake shall find it. See, we live our life and we want to find fulfillment. But if we try to, try to find fulfillment in a selfish and self-focused life without God, you'll never find it. True fulfillment is found when a selfless life is lived all for the glory of God. For everyone, stand to your feet. And as musicians come, and as we survey this account of the, of the Tower of Babel, Do you love all people? Do you love all nationalities? Because we are all equal in the eyes of God, and God has created everybody. But at the same time, we're all sinners. We are all in need of a Savior, and God is holy. God will punish our sin. And if we die in our sin, the Bible says that we will our soul will separate from our, our body. And the Bible says that there is a lake of fire for those that die in their sin. But God did not prepare hell for people. He prepared it for, the, for the, the angels that fell with Satan. But those that choose to reject God will end up there. But God loves you so much that he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, who died on the cross for your sin so that you could have hope of eternal life, that you could have all of your sins forgiven because all of us are guilty. And if you by faith and you humble yourself, you come to God and you ask him to forgive you of your sins and you call on the name of Jesus Christ to save you, God promises he will save you. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're here today, and you're going to be honest with yourself, you know that you have sin. The question is, have you come to Jesus and asked him to save you from your sin? If you've never done that, today would be a perfect day for you to do that. You could go to the person next to you and say, hey, I'm not sure I'm going to heaven. They'd be more than happy to talk to you about that. We'll have altar workers here forward, and you want to come forward, they'd be more than happy to share with you from the Bible about how you can know that you can be saved. But that's you today, please make that decision. Maybe you're here today and we talked about language. How do you use your words? Do you use your words wisely? Do you use your words to edify and and lift up other people and point people to Jesus Christ? Do you use your words to share the gospel? Or do you use your words to tear others down? We talked about unity. You know, what causes are you a part of? What group of people are you unified with? 
Are you unified in your church for the cause of Christ? Are you all on board with, with God and God's people and trying to reach our community for Christ? Or are you unified with some other cause that's contrary to God's will? We talked about worship. You know, who gets the adoration of your heart? Does God have your heart? Does God sit on the throne of your heart? Or is there something else or someone else in your life that you have elevated above God in your life? In this time of invitation, as the singing is sung, please take this time to talk to the Lord, to respond to him. In your pew, come forward, talk to him, pray with someone next to you, but please take this time to talk to the Lord.